lights out and away we go. Welcome to an American's Guide to Formula One. I'm Andy Lewis. And I'm Tim Lewis. Now let's start the show. Let's start the show indeed. And boy, you can tell dad's giddy. He's laughing already. I'm giddy. We have a we have a very special episode because in keeping with tradition for the last Abu Dhabi race recap, we're very we're very happy to be joined by our good friend of the pod, Jimmy Reed. Hey Jim, how are you? Good, good guys. Awesome. Happy to be on. Awesome, awesome. We we definitely wanted to have you on for uh the Vegas um ra- race reaction because we know you have you actually went to the the very first the 80 what was it 83 and 84 is that when they originally you know was that the second was 81 82 and 80. i went to the 82 race awesome uh which was the last race they had there before this this last one yeah yeah and so i definitely i remembered from one of our earlier episodes with you you saying that that was one of the races that you actually got to go to um, so we definitely wanted to have you on and, and do a little bit more Vegas discussion. Um, and I don't think anybody listening will mind. And if they do tough, cause I want to hear about it. <laughs> so, so first of all, uh, what did you think of Vegas of this, this, the new Vegas? Well, I think it's really set a new standard and I think, um, the money is just pouring into, Formula One these days, and they, um, uh, it's really changing everything. And when you think about the money that's going into these races, it's really affecting races like Monaco, because Monaco is the race, they never paid the Formula One people because they, Formula One needed the, the Monaco race. It was kind of the crown jewel of racing. They had to go there. But now it's, uh, Monaco's in a tougher negotiating position because, you know, they're saying, like, we don't, you know, we don't need to go to Monaco as much as we used to because we have Vegas and Miami and Singapore and all the races in the Middle East that can just, um, you know, pour poodles of money into into these new new venues. Um, so that, that was the first thought I had is how money has really is changing the whole landscape of Formula One. And, you know, the, the, the tra- I listened to a Mario Andretti podcast the other day. He was on. And he talked about that, the 82 race, and the, and the track was, he said it was a go-kart track. That's how I really often yeah. heard it referred to as well. Very, very tight it, and twisty. It was right behind, it was in a parking lot and some vacant land behind Caesar's Palace. And it was like a small intestine. They're just winding through, uh, and it was a very short track. I think it was about two miles mm. in total. Um but, uh, you know, they wanted to go there. I mean, they wanted to, even back then, Bernie wanted to go to more, uh, uh, you know, places like Vegas. He wanted a New York City race. I, I just I was talking to your dad when you were getting ready. I'll you know, shoot you two letters that I sent to Bob McCabe, who was running the Detroit race. And these are letters in 81 and 82. And he had called me on some technical technical issues. Um and then I wrote him two kind of long letters about the inspectors coming to the track and who you could, who was good, who was not so good. Uh, and I'll, I'll send those to you so you'll have them. They're kind okay, of interesting. Thank you. But uh, uh, thinking of that, with the, with the drain cover coming up in the first practice that ruined 
Carlos Sainz's car. Um, but these inspectors, I'm sure they still have them. They go to the track early and, uh, and look at them, make sure everything is okay. But the numbers that we were, that you know, you're hearing now that they're spending, you know, $500 million. And, you know, it's a lot of money. I'd never trust the figures because they always hype them to some degree. But, you know, all the stands and they shut down, you know, part of the city. But, but Formula One is really big these days. And, and these um, venues, you know, want them. I mean, you know, Putin wanted the race in Russia. He came to the race. I mean, they really attract a lot of money, especially in Vegas when they're tracking, you know, the gambling money. But, um, you know, I, I looked at the letter that I sent to McCabe, and Bernie at that point was trying to get – Watkins gone, I, I think I told you this. In 1980, we paid Bernie a million dollars for yeah. the whole package. In 82, the letter I sent to McCabe, Bernie wanted $2.5 from McCabe in Detroit. And I said, look, that's too much. Why you, at that point, I said, offer him, why don't you offer him a million and a half? You'll see it in the letter. Yeah. But what they're saying now is just got to be an astronomical number. I've, but, um, I've heard that the average is somewhere between, I mean, it depends on the circuit. And I'm sure, you know, like the Saudi races are, they're obviously offering a lot more. And I know, and we'll talk about it when we get to the race re, uh, race recap for Abu Dhabi. But um, it's somewhere in the, in the realms of 30 to 40 million for the race. Oh yeah, I, that's the number I, I believe for sure because I've heard you know Canada's thirty five million, um, and these Liberty Media people are very very sharp. Um, yeah. You know Bernie was sharp of course, but um, you know you thought well they, these people might not do as well as Bernie, but they really have been. And John Malone, who runs that you know the, the company, one of the really brilliant businessmen of all time, and there's a, a book out uh, called The Outsiders by William Thorndike, and he's mentioned in the book with, I think, Warren Buffett and a number of other mm. other people. But um, but the other thing about Vegas, you know, these these premium packages, um, the pricing has just gone through the roof. In fact, it's probably, I'm sure, it's cheaper to go to Monaco. If you were flying from Denver, it would be cheaper for you to fly to Monaco for the race than it would be to go to Vegas for the race weekend or um, Austin, not Austin, but Miami. Yeah. Uh, because the... Um, yeah, the t- the premium package, the tickets are just out of sight. Do you think with um, thought, Do you think with yeah. everything that happened at this year's Vegas Grand Prix, that those prices will be that high again next year? No, I I think they put them up there initially, and I think what I heard the hotels initially put the prices up, but they were coming down as people just refused to pay, um, you know, pay the prices. Um, you know, the interesting other thing about Vegas, it's, it's interesting to compare this the 82 season. That's just to kind of randomly pick a season, but that was the last year they're in Vegas. In 82, um, well, this year, of course, Max wins, what, 19 out of 22. The team wins 21 out of 22. In the 82 season, there were 16 races, 11 winners. Wow. Um, and, the, and, the, and K.K. Rosberg, who won the world champion, won one race which I think was the Swiss Grand Prix, they called the Swiss Grand Prix that year, although they ran it in France. And seven teams, seven different teams won. Um, so, you know, with Max, I, I thought it was, you know, I, from a big Lewis fan, I'm happy when Lewis is dominating all the races, but having Max win was a little bit, kind of a little bit, you know, boring for me because he's so good. And even Lewis said, um, 
you know, he's just kind of cruising. He goes out, gets a lead five seconds and he's just not going to strain the car and he'll keep that gap for a while. And, um, but if he needed to pull it out, he would, he would pull it out. And yeah. I think that's right. A lot, a lot of it was like that too. You, you uh, win it in Fangio that you win at the lowest possible speed. Yeah. Um, and you don't show everything you have in the car too. You know, that yeah. car, if they, if you're so far ahead, then the extra teams put, the teams put an extra effort into improving their cars. Um, but, um, you know, I think I might've mentioned that the, the big, one of the big mistakes in my life in 82, when I was at the race, I was walking through Caesar's palace and there were the, you know, the best bookies in the world for the NBA, NFL, college football, but that was the, you know, formula one. They really didn't have much of a clue. And there was a, uh, Michele Alvaretto. I walked him by the board and he's on the second row in a Terrell, normally aspirated engine. The two Renaults were on the front row, turbocharged. But the turbos didn't, you know, they had some heating problems, not so good on the short circuit. And Alberetta was going, who would never want to race, uh, went off at 60 to 1 to win. Oh, wow. And I just stopped my track. And I just, uh, but like an idiot, what they call a sin of omission, I never, never bet that and won the race the next day. Oh man! Uh, go up at sixty to one. It was, you know, he had never won, and yet at sixty-one from the second row, with the turbos subject to breakage on the front row, that would have been an awesome. And it was just a dumb thing on my part not to. Uh, I think not how, to do. How crazy! The the one thing that I mean, that's that's yeah, what a regret. But one of the things that stood out to me from just that is how crazy it is that there were cars with different configurated engines, like. In nowadays, the regulations being what they are, you know, every engine is virtually the same. I think there's very little, you know, I mean, we definitely don't have non-turboed and turboed engines on the same, on the same track. That's, that's crazy to me. Um, you know, I, I just blanking on the fellow's name, but he was, um, he just died here a couple months ago and he was a, a friend of uh, my friend Bernard Robertson's out in Detroit. They worked together at, um, but he was in charge of the turbo program through Renault with actually <clears throat> the driver was Jabouli, who was like an engineer driver, uh, won two races, but they had a lot of power, but they had turbo lag at that point. Yeah. They weren't really sorted out. And then when they got it sorted out, they were dominant. But that was the, the hybrid year where you had all these, you know, the Cosworth engines, um, and then some of the turbos coming on. I think that Ferrari probably had changed over to turbos at that point. I mm. think they had. Um, but they weren't, especially on a short circuit like Vegas, they weren't as dominant. It was like Monaco. They, in, um, 84, uh, in the rain, there were two cars. I talked to your dad briefly about this before you came on. Um, Prost or, um, Senna in his first year in a Tolman, starting about 11th, 12th, 13th, caught Prost and would have won the race, uh, had the race gone one lap longer. Uh, but then the other fellow, God, he ran it in the chair, was actually even catching Senna. People kind of forget about it. He was killed in that uh, sports car race in Spa. Uh, I can think of his blanket. I was a German driver. I'll think of it by the end of the end of the race. Right. But but they could compete against the um, you know the stronger engine uh, cars in in the rain on a shorter circuit. Yeah. But um, but the, yeah, Vegas is it's interesting to look from back then until now. I mean, Vegas was always kind of glitzy and glamorous. Um, 
it, 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 that time, you know, who were the celebrities that liked racing? Well, there was uh, George Harrison, who we saw in the pits in Canada one year, and then Eric Clapton, Christy Brinkley, we saw at that Vegas race. But now it's a, you know, it's just loaded with celebrities at the, uh, you know, at these races. I think they bring them in. And you see all sorts of people. Elon Musk, I think, was at the, the Austin race. Well, and it's not even uh, just the celebrities attending the race. You know, you have Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney being part of that investment group that, that bought in to a team. They bought a yeah. percentage of, of um, Alpine recently, $250 million for, what was it, 20% or something like that? Less than 20%? Well, that's interesting you should say that because the valuation of the teams – Teddy Mayer sold the McLaren team to Ron Dennis for $4 million in 82. And Dennis had, a, had some trouble raising the money he had to borrow at that point. But now I saw a valuation of Williams, which finished seventh, but up until this year was ninth and tenth. Yeah. At $800 million. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I, I think it just came out. I just saw, uh, I heard on um, DRS with Dax Shepard that Lawrence did sell a majority or not a majority, a minority stake in Aston Martin for a billion dollars. A minority yeah. stake for a billion dollars. So well, I, you know these wealthy, yeah, these, these wealthy guys like John Malone, uh, the fellow I can remember his name that, that uh, owns the Miami Dolphins. Sports is really big money, and they're they're plowing money into the English Premier League. Uh, you know, Formula One. Well, uh, because when you when you can you know show these events worldwide, there's a lot of money flowing in from TV rights and advertising and all sorts of things. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it's I think it, when you have you know Premier League soccer teams, football teams, five, six, nine million. Denver Broncos, what you know, couple billion dollars. Um, you know, but those are those are highly spe- specialized, smaller markets in the in the end run, but. When you have a you know a racing team that goes to twelve different countries in a year, I feel like I said I think I think even at a billion or a couple billion dollars, these teams are undervalued. Well, that's interesting. You know, the the guys the way they used to compute it, the ad guys, from what I understand, is they would say, okay, uh, what would it cost for us? There's two McLarens on the front row at Monaco with Marlboro plastered all over them. What would it cost us to buy that advertising? for that, which is now being shown because it's being shown in a race. So I think that's how they do their calculations uh, and how they decide how much money they're going to spend um, spend on these venues. But, you know, they, they, I just heard Mark Cuban, who bought the Dallas Mavericks for $200 million, is now going to sell them for like $3.5 That's crazy. <laughs> so the numbers are, are because you can advertise worldwide and it's much more popular. Uh, I mean, you know, as they say, Vladimir Putin wanted to race in Russia and showed up at the race. Um, a lot of money in the Middle East. We have four races there now. Well, we're returning uh, to China next year, too. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Shang- they, you know, it's Shanghai, a big, I big deal. I mean, so Chinese, market, Chinese market with a Chinese driver now, too, with Joe. I mean. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we were in, a, in a, a flight in China flying from. Beijing, I mean, to have this go, Beijing to Jian, I think, or Jian to Chongqing. And anyway, so we get on the plane, and the TV set, what were they showing? They were showing a 
a Michael Jordan video on the plane wow. going, you know, inner city, you know, Chinese place. Um, so these sports are all global. You know, you can, uh, um, all right. You know, you can, I'll watch the, 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 the English probably watch Liverpool tomorrow. Yeah. Morning on. Yeah. Back to Vegas though. I think I know the answer, but I'd trouble, I'd be troubled to not ask it to you, but as seeing the, you know, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix and the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which, which did you prefer? I mean, the one eighty two and the one now. Yeah. Well, look, the one now is just much more glamorous for uh-huh. sure. Um, but you know, there's a little bit of a sameness to a lot of these night races. Look similar. I mean, Vegas looks other than the buildings in the background, but yeah. Vegas looks a little similar to Singapore and some of the Middle Eastern uh, races they have at night. And it's you know, it, it looks like you're running, uh, you're driving a race through a you know, the outer fence of a prison or something. Um, it's not, it's not as good for the spectators. I don't think, um, you pay a lot of money for a ticket and you don't get a great, I don't think it's a great, um, you know, great viewing on these, some of these new races. Um, but, uh, it's glamorous for sure. And, and they're going to be going back there. But I guess they really had the city all backed up for for a long time. Yeah, I, it's a ten year yeah. deal that they're that they're yeah. going to be there, and I just wonder with with how we saw everything unfold. If um, like I know there's a class action lawsuit against F1 for the for the canceling of or the kicking out of fans of practice two and for the non running of practice one. Um, I know that leading up to the week before the race, I was seeing tons of ads for discounted tickets and discounted hotel rooms. Um, do you think now that the the um, mystery, now that we've seen a running there, um, do you think that tickets will will go down and there will be less that they're they're going to have to tr- really try and trump up interest again, or do you think that how good the race ended up? That will be, that people will be excited for a for a, a very good Grand Prix again, because I would put well, let Vegas in the top three races of the season. Yeah, I think there's a, the, the novelty of the first race will have worn off a little bit. So I think a lot of people went there because it hadn't been there in so many years. Um, boy, it's it's very popular now, and I think the prices will come down. You know, you always. You know, you're trying to get as much out of it as you can, but you know, the I think for the really, the, the really aficionados, the Formula One people that are just fanatical fans, uh, they really it was hard for them to to get a, a, a you know a, a ticket that was priced reasonably. For example, that one of the best days of my life went to Monaco. We had great seats down on the harbor um, in the Tabac Turn the race and I called up the uh, Smithsonian, the touring company, and said do we have races or uh, tickets for the, the qualifying? And they said no. So the plan was to go to a, a car museum in the morning, go back to the hotel in Nice and watch the race with an expert or watch the qualifying with an expert. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. My friend Bernard said, oh, I know what you want to do. I'm not going to do that. So, But I, what I did is trained it into uh, Monaco. I, it's like being in my hometown. I've seen the race so many times. Walked down to the ticket booth um, and I said, uh, all these expensive qualifying tickets, 250 euros. It's not what I'm looking for. So I, I got a ticket up on the rock. 
you know, 65 euros. I stood there for eight hours, one of the best days of my life, because you were with the Safosi, who were fanatical fans and don't have a ton of money to spend. So they're up on the rock with no seats and they've got chairs tied to bushes so they don't fall off the hillside. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. And you were talking about Martin Brundle before we hopped on here. Um, it was a great view from where we were because you could look down to the entrance to the pit and see Brundle and the Sky guys doing interviews uh, on the entrance to the uh, the pit. Well, there was a jumbotron you could see, and it was a, for 65 euros, it was fantastic for the day. And you go to Vegas and you're talking about, you know, two grand, three grand, four grand for, yeah, for think, some of these packs. I think still the, nat, the, the international average, like for European, like European and stuff races is, is still 200 euros, the average price for a ticket until yeah. you get to the States and then it's 10 times that. Well, yeah, Monaco, our tickets, now this is uh, 2019, our race day tickets were, just for the race day, 550 euros. And and as I said, if you stay in Nice, uh, you know, train it in, you know, buy a ticket ahead of time. And, they were, and there were seats available that day. I looked over, there were some seats to our right, down toward the swimming pool, that there were nobody in the in the seats. Um, but it's less expensive for you from Denver. You'd think it's, I could drive to Vegas, but it's still probably less expensive for you to go to Monaco than it would be to go to Vegas. And uh, if, if I'm, let's be honest, I would be much more happy to go to Nice and Monaco than spend the day in Vegas sure. the next day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a, there's another reason why they have to run the Vegas uh, Grand Prix at night is because they don't want us, no one wants to see Vegas in the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and how about at night? It's 10 o'clock. Vegas time, you know, so nobody in the East Coast is going to, not many people are going to stay up at one o'clock to watch a two and a half hour race. Um, yeah, what, did you, so what I guess did you think of that about the... I thought it was odd. I thought it was very strange. Unless you're trying to capture the, the European TV market where you wake up and I, watch the race. I think part of that was that, but it's like if we're trying to expand the states and viewership and growth in the states, why, you know, starting to race it at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, that's, I don't think that that's how you're going to get it. I really don't. Well, um, I think there's a lot, you're trying to keep people in the casinos as long as you can. And then, you know, hop down to the, but you know, these, these premium packages and they were really expensive. Um, at Monica, we were right across from the yacht and I'm sure there were, you know, premium packages there. You can sit, but it was a lousy place to watch the race because yeah. you were, you were kind of below the barriers and you really couldn't see anything. Uh, they, they, we looked across and they were drinking, having a great time partying, but they weren't real fans looking for the best place to watch the race. You'd be better off on the rock for a fraction of the price for sure. Yeah, I think I think uh, Ed Straw from, um, from the race summed it up well, and I think you've touched on this point too, um, is that, and I'm okay with it as well. I think that if, if we need races like Vegas and Miami – to bring in big, big dollar, high ticket corporate sponsors, corporate, you know, because let's let's be honest, if if you're paying ten, fifteen thousand dollars, it's probably a corporate package. That's is what's going on. But if yep. if we have to do that a couple of times a year, especially in a twenty three, twenty four race calendar year, so that we get Spa and we get Monaco still, and we get you know S Spain maybe a little bit, you know, some of these. 
more, you know, Suzuka. I'm I'm perfectly content for that swap. You know, I didn't think Vegas was the greatest race weekend, and it definitely didn't live up to the hype that F1 was pushing. But I think the racing was good. I think uh, it was, you know, I I thought watching them go around that sphere was spectacular. Um, but I'm I, I'm okay with it as long as the racing lives up, you know, next year as well. Um, and we and we see some good on track battles that we did because I thought the I thought the track was actually quite awesome. Some of those really high speed turns and and threading the needles into that thirteen, I I, I thought was uh, really really good racing. Uh, what did you think about the actual racing of the of the F one Grand Prix? It happened to be a good race, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was because of the track or whatever, but um, yeah, racing played a role in that as well. But you know, it was the first race there, uh, you know, since, and so they'll they'll dial it in, they'll get it, they'll make improvements uh, next year. They'll just look at what they did wrong, and uh, you know, these are smart people. They'll they'll get it kind of figured out. You know, the other thing too is they're they're really a lot of smart people now in Formula One. And uh, you can, you know, that there's a great, I'll send it to you because I, I downloaded it. But and there's a book too I've got to get, Toto Wolf speaking at Harvard Business School. Um, but they did, um, you know, they have a course there uh, where in the business school where they study the Mercedes Formula One team. You know, how do you, and, and there's always been that case, the teams have been nimble for the most part. Um and on kind of the cutting edge with technology, and they know how to do things. I mean, they really look at Red Bull. Boy, that's best driver, best car, maybe the best management. They're they're really really good, and um, uh, so they they're worth studying. Um, for if you're in any if you're in any kind of business, that is a uh, it's an organization or a sport that's worth kind of studying to see how they do things, how do you motivate people. Uh, how do you get money in? Uh, yeah, very, very interesting. Dad, did you have any questions for Jim on Vegas before we switch subjects? Oh no, not, I think I uh, covered a lot of things. I, I, I was concerned about the timing of the event, um, and we saw the issue with cold tires uh, as being perhaps a safety issue. Yeah. Would that would that be a major driver of moving it to more of a daytime uh, race to maybe conclude uh, toward the evening so you could take in the spectacle of Vegas at night? Um, but like Jim said, I, I think these people are put together pretty good, and you I, know, they'll probably come up with uh, wouldn't just moving it moving it up in the calendar year, maybe not November in the desert, but like, cause True. There's, there's plenty of times where Vegas is hot at <laughs> night. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I was telling your dad uh, before we got on, I, I hitchhiked around the country and let me think now, would it be 73 when I was 22 and I hitchhiked uh, through Vegas and I remember hot during the day, and then at night I slept in the back of a pickup truck between Vegas and uh, and Pasadena, and it is cold. I mean, so when the sun goes down, uh, so I think the timing of the race you can move it hour wise, um, but more than just you know date wise. 
there again, are you trying to keep uh, people in the casinos? You're trying to, well, and I you know, think, there's a lot going on there. I think it's also just that, that they wanted it to be on the strip. And I mean, that's like the main road, you know, it's not like yeah. a, a, a street circuit where, um, it's kind of auxiliary, you know, it's like, I mean, they technically call Miami a street circuit, but that's more like the Caesar's palace. It's in a parking lot. Um, I just think that it's there, there, there's, there's had to be talk of that with the city of Vegas that they were like, we can't, you can't be running in prime traffic hours. It has to be later on. Yeah. In the, yeah. That could be, that's a good point. Um, all right. Well, enough Vegas. Cause we did do a Vegas episode. We have to talk about, the season finale, because that is, of course, what this this episode mainly is about, too. Um, what were your guys' initial impressions of of uh, of of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix? And if you were the you know people that were paying these millions and millions of dollars for the rights to have the season finale, wouldn't you think it's a little? Would you be a little upset with your money going as far as it does? right after the Vegas spectacle that they just made, you know, it being only a week apart. So what did you guys make of that with the, the Vegas being only, or Abu Dhabi being only a week apart from Vegas and it being kind of, you know, the championship being long dis, uh, decided. Let's have uh, dad start first. Well, I think apart from the opening laps, it, uh, I mean, there were some good moments, particularly with the back runners, uh, with Lewis, not necessarily a back runner, but a mid runner and some good racing there. Kind of a, a snorer to me. Uh, but those first laps were between Leclerc and Verstappen. There's some really good racing. Uh, Leclerc got out of DRS, got back within DRS. And then, like Jimmy mentioned, that, oh, I guess I better give it a little bit more and Verstappen just turned it up one click and off he ran with, with everything like usual. So, um, uh, I think I didn't hear much complaining in regards to the timing being only a week after the, the Vegas, that's uh, a long haul to get to the Middle East when I was, with everything. I was listening to the race they were talking about. They said it was like zombies walking around that yeah. I mean with the late running in Vegas and then it was like a 12 hour flight it's a 12 hour flight from Vegas to Abu Dhabi and then I, I just I think it was crazy that I, I feel like the schedule there was the big problem because you had mm-hmm. I mean Brazil to Vegas that's a haul and then Vegas to Abu Dhabi that's a haul I and I just feel like putting them back to back but I think I think it was kind of crazy to have Vegas so late in the calendar for the temperature, the nighttime, the the long haul to the final race in Abu Dhabi. And like I said, I think if I was paying, you know, probably 30, 40, 50 million to, to host the season finale and there's no big reason to watch the season finale. Um, I mean, yeah, we got we found out who came in second. Wow. First of the losers, I think, is what Brundle called them. Um <laughs> But uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you think, Jim? Yeah, I was just thinking back to the, I hate to, to digress, Royce, but 
in 81, and they actually had to lift PK out of the car. He was so exhausted when they had the race in the daytime. So maybe mm-hmm. it is too hot in the daytime. I, re- I just remember that now that they, and I know in Brazil one year, they had to haul Senna out of the car. He was just absolutely beat. Um, so you can't have a two. I mean, some of those races in Phoenix and years ago in the daytime, oh, it was just brutal. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we, we saw that. Out. We saw that in Qatar this year, and that was a night race, yeah, yeah. too. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, I, I think Max, the feeling I had the whole year is whether he starts 10th or he's just going to win the race. Yeah. And uh, he's Except too good. Uh, and, you know, people, it's probably too early because he's only 25 to start talking about the best of all time. But, boy, I'll tell you what, he's, you looked at the, I just wrote some notes down today. He was 17 years old when he started in 15. He's 26 six now and uh when uh let me just see he's won 54 races lewis hamilton through age 25 had won 11 and uh then if you put him on a lewis pace between 11 the 11 he won and he's got 103 you know max would be you put him at the same max at the same pace max would be up around 146 total um, but he's just, he's out, I, I'm not a Max fan, but he's outstanding. I mean, he's just, could go down as one of the great drivers of all time. If he keeps on at this pace, he's just, I mean, what, winning 20, 19 out of 22 races. That's unbelievable. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's remarkable. It is, there is no other words. There is, there is, um, your, your nephew actually brought this up to me when we were, cause I've, I've been very like a, a fan of I've, I'm not a fan of Max, but I'm 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 admiring what he's accomplishing. But he yeah, that's he, a good. He he showed me uh or he sent me a, a thing talking about that there's been a very different reaction to Max's dominance and Red Bull's dominance than there was to Mercedes dominance and Lewis's dominance. And I think it, it jogged my memory, but when when Mercedes was was on their run. The FIA seemed to do everything to change the regulations to stunt them. You know, they they would outlaw different developments that they put on the car. You know, uh, when when Max when when Lewis was saying things and speaking his mind and dominating, they called him arrogant and selfish. And and now when Max speaks his mind and criticizes things, they're like, oh, what a what a true say it as it is kind of guy, you know, he really is a true racer's racer. And it's just, yeah. you, sometimes you, you, it's hard to, to ignore the discrepancies. And I don't know what other to really chalk it up to other than the fact that Lewis is a black kid and Max is a white kid sometimes. And I, and I just think some of that's just, just crazily unfair um, that we're all of a sudden, I mean, I do, I do want to give Max the credit where the credit's due, but and and I think the 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 real big difference in Max is that no one's hassling him, no one's giving him a hard time, um, and that that definitely wasn't always the, the there was only one year for Lewis's domination where it wasn't at least somewhat close, and that was twenty, um, but you know he had Rosberg beat him one year. And then he had Vettel, 
giving him a run in the Ferrari. I mean, there was there was plenty of challenge to um, to Lewis's domination. And then, like I said, the FIA constantly sticking in, saying, "You guys are getting too far ahead. We're gonna we're gonna clip your wings a little bit here." Um, but yeah, I uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. So someone else take over. <laughs> Well, it certainly was more enjoyable to watch back in the Lewis dominance days because of the there wasn't these 30, 40 second win margins. And um, there were some, I, I was, there, there were definitely some races that I remember the Mercs finishing half a minute ahead well, of not people. The, that's, yeah, yeah. That's I think I think that, that the stat to kind of go off of what Jimmy was saying about the 19 out of 22. The other factor is that he won 15 in a row. That That's the astonishing thing. And I think that is, like, that uh-huh. does take a level of dedication. Like, that's something that I've heard a lot of people say that are impressed about is, you know, he doesn't go out and celebrate. Like, and from Brazil to, uh, or from, from uh, there was a, what, a, a, a two week between Vegas and or Brazil and Vegas, he flew back to England and was on the simulator before going to Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, he had the championship and his, his point was, no, my team is showing up. They're working hard for this. So I'm going to work hard for this. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that I think <laughs> if it was me and I had, I think Matt also sent me a thing saying that, that Max could have not come back from the summer break literally not showed up to a single race and still won by a point with the way the points finished. <laughs> and like, I think if it was me, I would have a really hard time motivating myself to keep training, to keep pushing other than he wants the the record. I guess he wants to be that, that dominating, you know, 19 races. I mean, that record is going to stick for a long time, I think. And more than likely the only guy to beat it is going to be him next year. Um, well, that's for sure. Well, you know that again. This we talk about it all the time. About these are the twenty best drivers in the world, and but land, they're and also <laughs> okay. The eight, okay, the 19, 18, the 20 18, minus one. The eighteen best drivers, and then Logan Sargent and Lance Stroll. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey, Just, well, he got it. He got it. He retained his seat. That's, that's Andrew, surprising so. to me. Does that surprise either of you guys that Logan Sargent is still in that seat? Does that just mean that they couldn't find anybody else better? I guess. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. Why, I would, why should, I would think I mean, it would be pretty easy to get somebody to join a Williams team right now. They went, I mean, and they're the ninth fastest car, but they finished seventh thanks to Albon. Um, but. I don't. I, I really don't see how he kept that seat. I don't see what he brought to the team in any way that would. Why wouldn't you go after Liam Lawson unless Red Bull wouldn't let them have him? Or yeah, there's there's so much behind the scenes. I'm sure Andrew that. Uh, I mean, uh, let's just let it. I, I'm curious to see it play out now. I'm I'm a little surprised about the call, but yet, hey. Or, or maybe they know. Said, maybe they, they they really couldn't find somebody. There was nobody in the Williams Academy that really seemed to to. Uh, I don't know. But but to get back, if, if to, you're if you're willing to come here and go zero and twenty two, keep coming back. I guess I don't know. 
but, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But to get back to finish my thought on Verstappen yeah. about his desire, his uh, passion uh, to be absolutely the best. Um, I mean, not only the extraordinary, extraordinarily skilled drivers technically, but they are extraordinary mentally uh, mental giants yeah. to be able to maintain that degree of dedication. And maybe, maybe we're starting to see some of this maturing of Max that it's not all about him, but he wants to support the team. And, you know, I don't, I mean, Lewis is, I think he probably picked some of that up from Lewis because uh, Lewis is always a great supporter and uh, bringing accolades to the team members. Uh, it seems to me anyway. But yeah. uh, so uh, these are just extraordinary individuals uh, with similarly dedicated teams behind them. That uh, I mean, you just see the way the pit crews react. I'd like to see some closed circuit TV of, at the the uh, you know back at the the factories where everybody's gathered around and they're excited as they're probably jumping and hooping and hollering too and it's a great move or a great pass and uh, or when someone's out there you know just gutted yeah but uh, so it's uh, uh, that's interesting to know that, like you say, I don't know if I could maintain that degree of motivation, no. uh, knowing that you basically don't have to return. But I'm not, I don't know. I'm just not that kind of person. Yeah. I, well, I, I, I think, but that, I think that's the point, though. And I, I agree with everything Tim said. It, first of all, it's very hard to sustain excellence. And uh, there was a great book, business book, came out. It's a Stanford Business School study. It's called Good to Great by a guy named Jim Collins. And what they did is they uh, sifted through 7,000 companies and, and figured out who were the best 11 companies uh, in the world. And it went through why they were great. And it's a terrific book. And there's some sequels to it. But anyway, a couple of years after that, an article came out in Forbes or Fortune. And it said the title of the article was Good to Great to Gone. Mm. And these 11 companies, uh, some of them weren't able to sustain that level of excellence. Mm. And, you know, see dominant teams uh, all the way out through Formula One history that were dominant teams. And yet a year later, they weren't for various reasons. You know, you know, Ferrari was great in 61, dominant, gone by 62. A lot of people left the team. And then Lotus was really good for a while. Uh, you know, Lauda. Yeah, exactly. Williams, McLaren in the 80s and 90s. I mean, how, do you think you, they'd win and just say, well, they're going to win for the next 50 years, but they don't. And I think your dad's right. The, the sustaining the motivation. And, uh, you know, people are ticked off by other teams like that. Bowles went to Williams from um, Mercedes. Uh, so it's really hard to keep on the on the on top of the wave, you know, keep keep surfing. Well, I mean, very difficult. Look at what we all thought coming into to 22. We expected Mercedes to just continue going on, you know? Sure. And, and, yeah. look, and look how far they've fallen. 
I mean, Ferrari dominated all through the the early 2000s, and then 2007 is still their last world champion. Kimi Raikkonen's the last Ferrari driver's champion. You know, like we, the eras of dominance always, you know, what's some, one of my favorite quotes of all time is, you know, all forests burn and all empires fall. I mean, that's yeah, the thing. Charlie Munch. Go ahead. Uh, you, know, Charlie Munch, you know, Warren Buffett's buddy who died this week, you know, like a month shy of his um, 100th birthday. He said, you have to think about organizations like biology. You know, you're young and you're, you're growing and you're getting better. And then you get middle age where you're on top of your game and you're terrific. But then you start to wear out, wear down. And like a company like GE, who a lot of people thought is the best company in the world 15, 20 years ago, uh, now it's not. Now it's uh, your book's coming out trashing Jack Welsh. And um, uh, so you go from, you know, best to worst. Um, so it's just very hard. And that's why I think Max is it's so remarkable that when you think, oh, your motivation should be gone, it's not, and he goes back and is working on the simulators where everybody else is going to the beach. It's amazing, yeah. actually. Um, a couple other things before we just kind of go through a, a little recap because we're, we're burgeoning on doing that anyways is I wanted to talk about Sonoda and what a fantastic season Sonoda had, but also what a great race he had. Um, just almost got enough points for the team to, to, uh, to move them up into seventh over Williams. Um, but first, um, only the second ever Japanese driver to lead a Grand Prix. He led five five laps of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. How how cool was that for you, Dad? Were you just were you just stoked to see your boy Yuki up on front? In- well, yeah. I mean, I that, I was going to mention that if it came to as we worked into the discussion about the race, is that, that you know that was really the premier performance for me of this Abu Dhabi race that uh, how Yuki uh, managed his uh, weekend, so to speak, uh, the race uh, period. Um, I think it was the first time a Japanese uh, driver had uh, um, led a Grand Prix race since 2004. And I don't know, would that have been... Takuma Sato. I think so. Maybe, I think that's what then. they said. And and um, so, I mean, that's a, a great accomplishment, particularly when you think that some of the best mechanical racing technology is coming out of Japan. Yeah. You know, and uh, and has. I mean, it was Honda Power that, uh, that uh, I think, Senate was uh, riding on top of a lot of his fantastic races and stuff, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And, um, so, um, yeah, I was just totally stoked about Yuki. I, I, I mean, how can you not root for a guy named Yuki? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the other, other interesting thing that we have to talk about, uh, from Abu Dhabi was the battle for second place. Um, what did you, Jim, what did you think of, uh, of Charles, Charlie's Leclerc's, uh, strategy to, to let Perez through? Uh, to try and uh, promote, uh, to give him get him out of that five second penalty and secure the 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 P2 yeah. I thought that. it was very it really, you know the um, I don't know how it's how it's done, but they they really have it scoped out as to how to work out the strategies, and that was a I thought very smart for him to try to do that. 
I think he. I and, think they said if he would have done it two laps earlier, it would have worked too. But he did it a little too late. But I think he. You know, there's a very fine line between giving him more than five seconds and then losing that position as well. That was compelling. I really was. It was kind of a. You just see what's coming and you go, okay, this looks interesting. And uh, no, it was terrific. I thought. I thought that was. Also, I wonder. Had, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. About the radio. Uh, between Leclerc and the and the pit, um, how how did that was that a Leclerc thing on his own? Or oh yeah, completely Leclerc. I thought the two biggest strategic moments in Ferrari this season were the drivers making the strategy calls and not the strategist. <laughs> I saw Matt Matt sent me an Instagram meme where it was like you know Sainz and Leclerc and their strategists, and it was just pictures of them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um, uh yeah that's interesting to to note um well and it also uh, was there any glaringly any discussion no it was all uh leclerc coming up with that on the fly which is just remarkable to me but it also showed yeah. the lack of of strategy for ferrari because what the heck did, were they thinking they were gonna do with carlos Sainz? i mean I don't understand leaving him out that long and waiting, like waiting for a safety car that long. At some point, you got to give the guy a chance. Um, but to pit, what was it? Last, he ended up not even finishing. He just came in, I think, because um, he's he's marked as a, a DNF on the yeah. official timing. Yeah. So that seems so you like wonder- a, a crazy waste there too. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if they're they're not even using it already, but the use of AI in the future for some of this kind of bang-bang decision-making. Mm. Now, they may be using it already, but it's coming for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, think about that. And all sorts of areas, and you got to think it's going to be, they're going to be on top of this probably already. Yeah I, I, yeah, I wonder how much strategy jobs will kind of fall to the wayside when you have a, you know AI just running every possible outcome in seconds you know yeah but uh that's an interesting point very very interesting yeah that is an that's an awesome point actually the other the other thing i wanted to talk about is is a the return to form for russell and he really you know he really put in quite the effort where lewis seemed to to not be anywhere this weekend um and pretty much single-handedly saved the team P2 in the championship. Um, and boy, he sure wanted to make everybody known that he did too. Um, and then, and then the, the other thing is George's just demeanor on the radio. I, I feel like George has got to be a really hard guy to like within that team. Like if you're, if you're in a camp between Hamilton and Russell, I find George to be quite off putting. Am I, am I alone in that? Not at all. Okay. Because um, there was that yeah. radio where he was like, where's Lewis? How's Lewis getting on? And they're like, oh, he's in. He's involved in battles of his own. And he's like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, are are we? how are we in the standings? And it's like, bro, focus on the race. Like, focus. Like, uh, I don't know. Jim, what do you think? Well, I think, yeah, right now he's not particularly likable. I think that's. I think that's the general sense of it. Um, but they're really competitive. It's, you know, they're kind of a down year, number one, number two. They're hyper-competitive. 
uh, and it's going to be interesting to see going forward. You know, the interesting is, is to whether or not um, Lewis's skills are going to drop off. Um, you know, certainly not for Alonzo. Alonzo's going great guns. I say Fangio was, you know, he won his last championship, I think, at age 47. But he's 38 now. He's pretty close 38, maybe 39. Yeah, 39. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's 22, so yeah, 16. Yeah, he's going to be 38, maybe 39 next year. So you wonder if his skills are going to start to drop off at all. Um, I don't know. Um, Do you think Lewis is going to get eight? Well, you <laughs> after Max just won 19 out of 22, you say probably not, but you never yeah. know. Yeah. Kenny sure. last to 2026. I mean, well, look at look at Alonzo. Alonzo's going to be 42. 40, he's 41 this year, and he's he's easily at the top of his game still. And I, I think mean, Maxwell, if there's ever been one Max, thing to say about Lewis Hamilton is he definitely doesn't quit. No, no, that's for sure. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if there is a will, he's going to find a way. But. You know, one of my friends, Chris James, I was hoping he could be around for the podcast. He has two daughters, and they're, they're you know, t- mid-teenagers, and they're big Lewis fans. Mm. They don't like Max. <laughs> I think Lewis is, is, is a thousand percent more likable than Max. But Absolute. from, Absolute. from sure. what I hear, I mean, Max is, when like when they pull fans, Max is edging him out. Max is the, the fan favorite. And I don't, yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I really don't. I mean, I, I think he's an undeniable talent. You can't look at 575 points and 1,000 own laps led and all the records that he smashed. I mean, that is undeniable. I will give him the credit where the credit's due. He was, sure. hands down, the best driver this year. But yeah, as far no. as likability and, and interest and... What they've done for the sport as a whole, I think it's with there's no comparison to Lewis. He's not even in the same he may even if Max goes on to beat every single one of Lewis's records, which I don't think he will. I mean you think he could, but I don't know. I still think Lewis will go down as as the greatest driver of all time because of what he did for the sport. Like when, but when do you ever remember a driver being as as internationally popular, as famous, and like bringing you know, like eyes to the sport? Um, I just think Lewis is is in a, is in another league, and then you throw on the 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 maturity and 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 I just think he he's in another league. To, to well, let's let let's also see what happens to Max as a person over the next seven to 10 years, you know, uh, that is one of the most interesting things about formula one is that these incredibly talented, oftentimes incredibly useful, um, chronologically useful, uh, personalities come to the scene. And, you know, remember back when you were 17 and, Oh yeah. You know, I I probably wasn't a greatly likable person either. Well, but, I think but I think we did. We we with Vettel. We, too, we evolved. Yeah, you know, we evolved in Vettel. I mean, um, what? A, and so we're talking about that flash in the pan. What what society tends to to focus on is a success down. 
as opposed to looking at the big picture of life itself um, and the evolution of one's being, um, as we wax philosophic here, uh, about becoming a well-rounded person. I think that's what you're saying about Lewis. He's just this well-rounded individual that just so happens to be perhaps the greatest Formula One driver that we may ever know of in our lifetime. And, um, but as the time goes by, and this is what's so fun about seeing the personalities, the maturity of, of these young guys with incredible privilege. Yes, they have incredible dedication, but how they evolve as people, uh, is one of the most fascinating things about this sport. Very much yeah, so. Yeah, I think you, I, I agree with you, Tim. I think you got to kind of a break that he's 25. People kind of forget that because this mm-hmm. is his ninth. So I think you have to kind of a break from an age point. And, you know, you look at um, people like George Foreman, the fighter, when he fought Ali for the first time. I mean, he was this – they thought he was going to kill Ali and he was a big, glowering, not likable guy. And then 30 years later, he's one of the most likable celebrities in the world. He's pitching um, – what are those George little cookers or whatever they were? Yeah, the the, the for, George Foreman grills. Yeah, George <laughs> Foreman is a very popular you know pitch band. And then John D. Rockefeller, nineteen oh five, when they're trying to break up Standard Oil, was the most hated man in the world. Yeah, but he mm-hmm. died at age ninety eight. He was the most beloved man in the world. Yeah, thanks yeah. to a guy named Eddie Lee who was his PR guy. But you know, you can have. The opinions can change of, of people. And, well, the other, and, uh, the other thing is that the Liberty Media era of F1 could see the off of Max Verstappen. You know, he is no shy to criticize the the current calendar, the current spectacle making of the sport. He longs for more, con, you know, cons, um, traditional racetracks, um, and he he could just get fed up with the calendar and fed up with the 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 liberty, and he could go off and do something else and never go after the, Lewis's record. He may not ever. I mean, I think he wants to beat Lewis. I think he really does. But I I I just as much as I see him in the future going on to win you know nine world titles or whatever it is, um, and smash all of the records that have ever been. I just as likely see him getting fed up with with where Liberty's taking the sport and going and doing other series or continuing in sim racing or, um, you know, I, I, I don't know where I, I, I it's it's a each opportunity is is likely in in my mind right now, but I don't think you're going to turn down being being in the fastest car, being one of the highest paid athletes in the sport. Um, and dominating, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's very likely to turn that down while they're winning. But we'll see that. You know what happens in twenty six if if the rules change again and Red Bull's back running seven eight. I don't know if you'll see Max stick around. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Hey, yes. I have a. Go ahead, Andrew. No, no. Go ahead. I had, I had something I was hoping to, to review with with uh, all of us, particularly Jim. Yeah, Jim. Did you ever have the opportunity to meet any of the Andrettis? Uh, <laughs> not meet them. No, it's interesting. I I walked out of Teddy Mayer's memorial service with Mario, um, 
who would come up to Teddy Bear was from our area, so it was at a country mm-hmm. club. And then in the 1980s, uh, it's funny we talk about this because I, at the 1980 Canadian Grand Prix Saturday morning for the practice, I was on the pit wall between between the pits and the racetrack, and next to me was Michael. And- this is 19 at Michael Andretti with the blonde on the one side and the blonde on the other side. Uh. <laughs> and uh, so he's been around a while. We're trying to figure out how old he is. But that leads you into whether they're going to get into Formula One. Boy, I don't know. It doesn't look like it. But um, the teams are certainly would be against how, it. How do they not? Like, how do they not? How do you, as, as Liberty and, and, you know, wanting to, especially if America is a priority and getting more fans on board... How, how does having Cadillac, uh, GM, the largest automotive manufacturer in the world, I think next to VW, be a, a, a works team with Andretti? How does that not how do you how do you say no to that? Well the teams say no because it dilutes the, the purse. They have to they have to pay one more team. Now I guess the minimum they want two hundred million for a team to to enter and then they divide that up, I guess, uh, you know, amongst the five or the ten teams. But then you've got issues like um, some of the racetracks. You have to add another, you know, two more pit, um, mm. you know, pit space. Yeah. Um, so there's more to it than that. But I think they just don't want, um, you know, don't want. And you know, it's funny. A friend of mine, Kevin Rogers, big Mario Andretti fan. I, I gave him a ticket to the I, my ticket from the ticket stub. From the nineteen seventy Indy five hundred, he got Mario to sign it, but he's a huge fan of Mario, not so much of Michael. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, Mario's a tremendously likable person, a good person. But I don't know, Michael. I don't know. Doesn't have this. Well, that's what I was hoping. That's where I hoping uh, this conversation would have steered to is that it's. It seems as though that Michael Andretti is not going to let this lie that he is the more uh formula one fia get um pushing back he pushes harder it seems um don't get me wrong i think it would be awesome to have an american team american engine builder works team um but uh that's why i was asking if you knew about michael andretti because he seems pretty tenacious I just and uh, perhaps a bit too ruthless to for his own good in this case. Or, but you know, I think go ahead. Go, ahead. go, go ahead, ahead, please. I'm saying that's what it takes, right? Is you have to be ruthless. You think Toto's not ruthless? You think Horner's not ruthless? They're like, all tough guys. Yeah. They, they, oh yeah. And I'm just so These frustrated that this is a sport, and this is sporting. And how sporting is it to say nope? No more people. No more challengers. No more. We're good. I, and I think it's. I think it's short sighted. I, I mean, I get that they don't want to water down their values, but there needs to be a clear path, in my opinion. I think the ambiguity of the sport right now and whether or not yes or no. But I mean, if you can, if you can rally what Michael's rallied. I don't know anything about the guy. I'm not speaking to his character or anything. But what he has done up until this point is impressive and liberty and even before that with bernie it was always about getting manufacturers involved and and growing the sport 
And to get GM involved and to have, you know, an American team, like Dad said, where in one of the biggest car markets in the planet, I just don't see how you could realistically say no to that. I just don't. I, I don't. And I, I just want to see it just for the. When was the last time we had a new team? I think it was Marusha back in the, you know, 2000s or whatever. And I mean, well, let's. Hot. Well, yeah, hot, 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 hot. But hot did they buy? Been, yeah. They bought the team, right? I thought. I mean, like an actual new mm. team. Yeah, I think they bought in from one of those Caterham or Marusha, one of those. Yeah, I think you're yeah, probably right. Yeah. But uh, I I just think it would be like it's showing that the sport is changing. It show it's it should be doing everything that Liberty's goal is. And let's be realistic: if there's no fruit from it, GM will pull out. It's not like, you know, it's you know, they, and they could even set some sort of like a um, performance standard, like they used to have, you know, qualifying what qualifying was. Like, hey, we're going to give you a one or two season chance, but you have to be running. You have to be competitive within those first couple of years or you lose it, you know? And, I mean, talk about exciting. Maybe make some sort of, like, relegation thing like soccer in the, oh, whoa. you know, in the, in the yeah. where, like, okay, maybe we do only have 10 teams, but there's going to be seasons where we'll have 11. But if you come in last, guess what? You're you're an F2 team now or something. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and you lose your that, ability to run in F1 if you are... Yeah, that, are thought, that thought is out there now, the relegation concept for sure. I think that would like that would make the... That would make these end of years where the, the championship is decided by Max, you know, at summer break. Well, okay, well, we still have something to watch because is, is, is Williams going to be a racing team next year? Is AlphaTauri going to be a racing team next year? You know? Well, are they going to be an F1 team or will it be relegated to yeah. F2? Yeah. You know, the, the interesting thing about that, and I, I really love the English Premier League, but uh, it makes you watch the bottom of the table. In right. other words, it's such a big deal whether you, go, you stay in the league or you go down to the next league. It's a huge deal. And a couple of years ago, I think Everton – which is uh, in Liverpool, about a mile from Liverpool Stadium, they uh, were saved from relegation on the last day. You'd have thought they won the Premier League. The stands, huh. you know, came onto the field to finish, you know, 17th. Yeah. But it's a big, big deal. And you really have to follow the bottom of the table then. And it's very interesting. All right. Let's... That, that does sound cool. All right, moving on. I kind of want to do, since this is kind of one of the last uh, race recap seasons um, and we have Jim on, I just think it'd be kind of fun to kind of go through um, some of the drivers and how we thought they did and um, and some of our favorite moments and stuff. So so uh, I think we can kind of skip DeVries because that was kind of lame. We can skip Sargent. What did you guys think of Liam Lawson? Finishing 20th in the driver's standing, ahead of Logan Sargent, and only racing in, what, four races? <laughs> yeah. so, so, Jim, Jim what, was, what was you. your impression of Liam Lawson? Jim, I'll defer to you on, on this one. Okay. I wasn't saying that much. Well, he certainly, not only did he score those points, but he was his consistency. I As just, his kid just said, here, plunk your butt in the seat and see what you can do. And he showed what he could do. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, so I'm excited about that 
person. Unfortunately, I'm not. I was kind of thinking that he might replace Sarge at Williams just to get his butt in the seat. I think in F1. I think it's an absolute it atrocity that he's not an F1 driver this year. I think the 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 level of maturity, the level of willing to just get up to speed and go that he showed and determination when yeah. it seems hopeless Man, he, was incredible. And the, yeah, and the consistency. And the consistency. I mean, you know, from uh, qualifying to practice and then in the races to score points. Uh, it was something. I was excited, but and and God, I listened to him on an interview. He's just kind of an impressive guy. Yeah. yeah. So the, I he think just is, uh, the thing that I think what really happened here is I do think that this is the big ultimate contingency plan for Perez. That if Perez doesn't cut it early on, apparently some of the news that I heard is that there's a there's a, a stipulation in Perez and Ricardo's contracts that there could be an early season swap or uh, boot to Perez, and then um, Lawson would come up and take Ricardo's spot if Ricardo wow. comes up and takes uh, Perez's spot. And then which would leave mm-hmm. just um, Perez out, which I think that – I think we could see some really, really weird silly season stuff next year if uh, mm. if Perez, um, Perez ends up losing that drive. But – Speaking of of uh, Perez, let's just jump up ahead to Perez then, because I thought it was really nice to see a return to form from Perez from um, Brazil on. I feel like we saw we started seeing a and and kind of touching on what Jim said, the mental uh, fortitude sometimes it takes to reel in some of those out of control seasons. But I I don't think I expected Perez to come back as strong as he did. Um, but do you think it was enough? Do you think he he's enough, Jim? I wouldn't change at all this year. And I, I think, look, he finished second. What more can you do? And you know, you're you. We've talked about Max before. This guy could be Max could be the best driver in history, and you're trying to compete with that guy. Of course, you're going to come up short. But um, you know, he won two races. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't mess with. Happen, you mess with what you did. So I, I think for the next year, the other thing I thought about is, first of all, you've got who who would you want in that seat? Let's say you're red. Who would you want in that seat? Well, you'd want something like a Norris or Leclerc, people who are tied up on other contracts. Uh, so you're not going to get them. But the other point is, who would want? Who of those drivers would want to race against Max and be you know be compared to him? I don't I don't know. I don't know if I were any one of those drivers including somebody on the Campbellton if he just thought he was going to get a better car. Competing against Max, I don't know. I'd be really thrilled to do that, actually, the way he's driving. So Here's so I, th- I would leave it alone for this year, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I think... He's still got some... Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. There was a, there was, Max was posed the question, wish you, do you wish you had... Like, do you wish the racing was closer? Do you, th- do you wish... That you know, McLaren or Ferrari and Mercedes was up battling. Do you do you long for that twenty one kind of excitement? And he said, "No, I want to dominate. I want to show up and finish 17, 30 seconds ahead." And I think that's yeah. a big. I I just I think that's the driving factor of keeping Perez and not trying to poach a Norris or a Science or or somebody that's gonna hustle Max along. 
is Max doesn't want to be hustled along. Max doesn't want to be challenging. And right, then, exactly. And I think they're kind of just Red Bull is the Max Verstappen team right now. And until sure. until that that uh, that second driver really comes into play, where if you have Ferrari, McLaren, or Mercedes actually you know battling in the constructor standings, I think they really just want a decent number two driver to to, to keep. To not challenge Max, but they can't have somebody like Perez go wandering and leave too many points on the table. Because, you know, between Lewis and, and Perez, it's only about 50 points. And that shouldn't yeah, be know, the case. Let me give you some history. Um, 1973, the Lotus team, they brought Ronnie Peterson, who was kind of thought to be maybe the fastest driver in the world with Fittipaldi. In the French race, the uh, uh, Fittipaldi still had a chance to catch Jackie Stewart, and the plan was, Peterson was in the lead, but he was supposed to give way to um, to Fittipaldi so Fittipaldi could get the maximum points. And they kept going on and on, and they didn't have radios in those days. But uh, Colin Chapman did not uh, put a sign out to, to have them switch, which was what the deal was. And that's one of the main reasons why Fittipaldi left Lotus and went to uh, McLaren. Uh, and you know, so you can see it doesn't help oftentimes to have two almost equal drivers in the same team. And um, oh, look at Prost so I and think Senna. One- look at Lewis and Rosberg. Look at you know, there's yeah, pl- yeah. there's plenty of times where you don't want you don't want the, you know look at look at Ricardo and Max. You know, that sure. was the impetus for Ricardo leaving, was he didn't want to be challenged by this, yeah, yeah. Oh. this young up-and-comer who's going to take his crown away. And now yeah, he's yeah. doing it's... everything he possibly can to get back to just being Max's teammate. You know, perspective's a, a fickle bitch sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, mm. Other impressive yeah, end-of-season um, performances, I, I mean, we have to talk about it because we, we give Lance such a hard time, but credit where credit's due. Lance, I think, really finished the season out strong. A couple five uh, fifth-place finishes and then finishing 10th. Um, did, did you guys pick up on that as well? Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm not as hard on Lance as you are, but, um, I mean – Again, it. I I think. I mean, money can do so much. Daddy can do so much, but the, it comes down to, can you drive the car? And Lance sort of showed that he could drive the car. Well, I'm hard on Lance and because think- this was an opportunity for, for, this was probably one of the best opportunities for the team Aston Martin in a long time. Yeah, and to finish point. twenty points off of P four, um, in the constructors' title when you have uh seventy four points and your teammate has two hundred and six points, you know I think there there was twenty points more than twenty points that Lance left on the table, and that's the difference between coming in P five and P four and maybe even P three. Um, mm. I just, I just think you can't. That can't be accepted 
in this sport. And that's why I was giving him a hard time. And I'm trying to give him a little bit of credit and say, way to come back from a very low slump. Yeah. I think he did he did kind of rally toward the end of the season. Yeah. And that's good that's good on you, Andy. But you know, it's um I just don't think I mean it was awesome to see him do so well coming back. I is it enough? I don't think so. Yeah. But yet the the uh Well it definitely shouldn't depends be depends on how far you want to take the nepotism. Well, it won't. It yeah. definitely won't be enough if we see some really crazy, silly season stuff. If Perez loses his season, yeah. how would you not have Perez or Stroll for Stroll? Who would make that? I mean, Perez is in the slump too, but he's still a far better Grand Prix driver than than Lance has ever been. So, yeah, I, I think the situation got into Perez's head this year, or um, even a Sonoda. Look at the season Sonoda put together. In a much yeah. worse car, and then you throw on the fact that Honda is going to be your engine supplier next, you know, in 26. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I think I think we're kind of on to a, um, a, a topic here of what were you, what are your biggest wins in the 2023 season? You I, know, I think instructor driver. I think we have to. I mean, the. I think we have to talk about Science being the only driver other than Max to win a race this season, or I mean, other than mm-hmm. Red Bull. Um, Perez did win those two races, but I think I think Science is a is a is an under underrated Grand Prix driver, and I think I've been saying that all season long. Yes, you have. Um, and I think I think it's hard to look at a science Leclerc driver lineup and not say that that's one of the strongest uh, driver lineups on the grid. And all it needs is them giving them a car that, that races as good as it qualifies or at least closer to it, it qualifies and getting a strategy together that doesn't blow them race results and, mm-hmm. and points. I just, I, I don't, know how ferrari tolerates it i really don't see it um yeah anybody how about how about you jim what do you think what was what was your biggest win for the year well i rate him uh stay on science for a second i rate him higher Uh at the end of the year than i did at the beginning Mm -hmm. i thought claire was was better up until this year um and you know a lot of Times it depends on how they set up the car. And Leclerc's had a bunch of poles. But when in Jackie Stewart's heyday, the Terrell team set up that car for the race, uh, not so much for to get the pole. Jackie Stewart had 15 poles and 27 race wins. But very deliberately, uh, during the, the, the weekend, the practice sessions, that was all they were doing mostly race setups. And they weren't, uh, you know, so much. Um, uh, concerned about getting the poles. You know, some teams try to get the poles. Like you were, if you were a Haas team, or in the old days, the Williams team, when they were, before they really became good, they would really try to get the pole because that would help them with their sponsors. You know, they knew they weren't going to do anything in the race, but if you, you could create a splash by getting the pole, and they would set up the car that way. They would, you know, put uh, the best tires on, you know, not not so much gas in the car, 
because they knew the car was not going to make it to the end of the race. On the other hand, it would help them with their sponsors say, hey, look, this car's got potential. It's on the pool, blah, blah, blah. So Ferrari seems to have uh, not as good race pace as the Red Bulls. Very fast in a one lap, you know, one, one lap, one qualifying lap. And that's why I think Leclerc's had the number of poles he's had. But race pace, I, boy, again, Red Bull is, I think, focuses on race pace. And they're, um, you kind of know that. You go, oh, I'm actually sense, so what? They have better race pace. You just kind of, so these guys know what they're doing. And they're, they, um, you know, that's their motivation, just to win to win races. Um, yeah, but I think that's got to be so aggravating for Leclerc to constantly be qualifying so well to then fall to, to fifth in every, you know, like, I think he has has the most polls and least wins. Like his percentage of polls to wins is like one of the worst or greatest, however you want to qualify it. And how do you keep a driver like Leclerc's caliber staying at Ferrari if he is never converting that to wins and championships? I mean, the interest for him has got to be highest. I mean, I think on a short list between maybe – it's got to be even higher than Lewis because of his age and where he can well, go where in would, the future. That's the problem. Where would there's, he has no options. So Leclerc, he can't go to Red Bull, wouldn't go to Red Bull. He can't, there's not an option for him um, at Mercedes. Now, when Lewis retires, maybe that's an option for him. But um, yeah, there's really nowhere. And I'm sure he's extremely well paid. But yeah, he doesn't have a lot of better options out there right now. I don't think. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we—I mean, we do have—I mean, we have Audi coming and whatever that could bring. We have, you know, the Honda partnership with uh, Aston Martin and their intentions to be a front-running team, and clearly some seats could become available there. Because I mean, as great as Fernando is, he can't be racing in his in his fifties. I mean, let's just be realistic. Um, you, you know, when Ferrari was at their best. Uh, the, the dominant periods, I want to go to the Lauda period in the mid-70s and then the Schumacher period. They had a driver who was really a team leader. Uh, Schumacher just drove that team in the same same with Lauda. Um, so I don't know if it's kind of the Germanic personality, whatever it is, but th- that's when Ferrari was their best. Uh, well, and when I, they had some... They also, yeah. But they also didn't have the Ferrari axe chopping mentality either you know you had ron dennis and they let they let ron and they let schumacher run the team and be independent of the ferrari board you know greater ferrari company yeah. and they, they let them do the things that it needs to win races and i think they were starting to do that with bonato and then gone you know like that 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 fear Fear tactics never work to motivate people. Uh, you know, I feel like you, you're not going to suggest a, a wild, kooky idea or development or something for fear that it's going to cost you your job. But what if that weird, kooky development idea is the thing that unlocks a second-a-lap pace, you know? You, you know what makes the uh, the Ferrari people fearful is the, the, the Italian press. That too. And they can mm. – brutal on the ferrari drivers uh, you know when you're on top they're all for you but boy you're if you're not they can really be you know be tough 
They're definitely um, Ferrari is definitely the closest thing to a national team that that sure that we yeah. have on the yeah. F one grid for yeah. sure. That is exactly what it is. Yeah, for sure. Um. Uh. uh so, but uh, okay. Other drivers. I mean, we have to just talk about some really standout. We have to talk about Albon. And how how much longer can Albon stay at Williams when he's driving as good as he is? Because if you ask me, my short list, I think the race posted a question of um, your three favorite drivers of the year, and I said, it it's without a doubt, it's got to be Sainz. The only driver to win a race other than a Red Bull this year, and on merit and on pace and on strategy that he came up with, I thought that was just one of the best drives we've seen all season. Um, Albon, I mean, he took a ninth place car and put it on seventh single-handedly. We also have to talk about he's, he went, you know, he, uh, this is kind of a beautiful poetic thing here that he's the first driver to go to, to absolutely out qualify and dominate his teammate in every outing other than Max Verstappen, who did it to him when he was in a Red Bull. And so I thought that was a pretty cool uh, uh, string to follow. and But I just think, how long, when is he going to have his George moment where he gets a shot at a front-running team again? Or do you think it's over for him and he's just going to be stuck at Williams well, or I, a Williams equivalent? Now, wouldn't it make sense? Is he a better option at Red Bull? Um, you know, age-wise, I don't know. Maybe that's, that's something that makes sense for him. It's an upgrade of the team for him. I think you he's replace- on record saying he will never go back to Red Bull. That he he doesn't want to go back. I don't. I mean, I think giving a giving a, a championship winning car might might change that. But the last I had heard, he's he's very much content with never racing in a Red Bull again. You know, you were go back to the fear factor. There's a one of the great business consultants is this Edwards Deming and he has a 14 points that he follows. But one of those points is drive out fear. Mm. And um, mm. when you talk about the Mercedes culture is what they call a no blame culture. Yeah. And it's very good for them. It's good in all sorts of businesses to have a culture like that. Um, and they don't blame a person. You know, if a, if a mechanic screws up a pit stop, he's not to blame. And, um, but I think in Ferrari, boy, I think the blame has been dished out. Pretty, all, all oh, the by time. the way, there's that big Ferrari movie coming out at the end of uh, around Christmas. Christmas time. Yeah, Look, I'm excited about it. Pretty cool movie for sure. Looks good. Hopefully, Adam Driver's yeah. Italian accent is much better than it was in House of Gucci, though. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think of the the Alpine Pierre Gasly Ocon? Clearly, no love lost between the two of those guys. Um. But I feel like Alpine really kind of under-delivered and they, they kind of have skated under the radar for people talking. Um, but I, I I think that um, they really should have finished fifth. They were, they, yeah, I think fifth or fourth was their their goal for this year and they fell fell far short of that and got, got beat to fifth by Aston Martin pretty badly and McLaren too. What do you guys think of you know, like, Alpine? I could never figure out the branding on that team, why they changed it. I know it's to sell Alpine cars, but I, for some reason, that's just at the time they did it, that seemed a little screwy to me. I think it's wacko doodle. 
I mean, like, especially yeah. when you're, when you, you know, Alpine's not even sold here in North America. You can't buy right. it. You can't buy an A110 here. And they only have that one car. There's, you know, Renault, it makes way more cars. And there's plenty of Renault, you know, f- plenty fast hot hatches that Renault makes. If you're trying to sell cars, I, I, I too don't understand that. But they've attracted a lot of sponsorship and a lot of people buying into that team, and I just wonder what they're looking at to 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 garner that kind of investment. Um, but hopefully, you know, getting some big name celebrities like Ryan uh, Reynolds and them will they'll go, hey, what what's going on here? I'm not going to invest two hundred million dollars to come in fifth, come in sixth. Like, what do you guys need to 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 motivate that team? And I, I do think we saw some really awesome drives from Gasly um, toward the end of the season. Um, and I've always really liked Gasly. I, 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 was hope, I was very hopeful for him when he got that, um, the drive at Alpine. But I, I think that they're going to have to really manage that relationship. Talk about a, an equally pay, like, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like what we were talking about with putting somebody up to challenge Max is that when you have drivers of similar caliber, there's a live wire right there. And I've, I, you, I've listened to some interviews with Gasly. They don't like each other at all. And I think we've seen that flare up and that we've gotten, they've gotten really lucky a couple of times that some of those racing moves and the times that they've let those two cars race has really hindered their progress against the other team. And they've gotten lucky that they didn't have something like what happened in Australia where they just take each other out. Um, so what do you guys think of that? Dad, what do you think of that? Well, I was just, I had watched some documentary on the history of Alpine Renault and there, and it's kind of a cool history. I think I can't remember the whole deal, but I'd have to try and find that documentary. It made sense to me of why they named Alpine, the team Alpine. But, you know, they do have some pretty impressive uh, race heritage. Um, back when Fernando was younger and has his two championships. Yeah, but that was as championships. Renault. Again, that was as yeah. Renault. Not it's Alpine. still Renault. Alpine is still Renault. Well, I know, but it, Isn't like, it? again, your all of your brand recognition from being a world championship in F1 came as Renault, not Alpine. I don't know. He's still wearing the yellow helmet, so yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think I just really don't know enough to comment. Okay. Uh, I'm not. I'm not well, we privy can, on we the can, relationship between Ocon and Gasly. You know? We can all agree, and I'm sure Jim, you can speak to this a little bit. That it's never very good when you have two drivers of equal or similar talent on the same team that don't like each other. That never really works out for anybody. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. Eighty-two. Um, you know, when Ferrari had two, we had Villeneuve and Tierney in the same team, and and that you know Villeneuve got killed in an accident in Belgium in Zolder, um, because he thought in Imola the two weeks before the Pyrenee had defied the team orders, didn't let him through, won the race, and. And yet, again, real friction between – that's the worst friction between two drivers, uh, which caused a fatal accident. Um, 
in 82. Um, but, yeah. I just think yeah, the family I, 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 crossed at Senna. Yeah, well, that's true. There's a, that's a solid driver lineup, though. I think that's a solid midfield. You know, you wouldn't put them in the top tier, top eight, but they're solidly, I think, both very impressive. And I saw, I saw Gasly at the Monaco in 19, and boy, did he drive a great race there. Um, Gasly's 19 was, season was, was incredible. And I think that's something we uh, should talk about, too, is when we get, when we talk about Yuki and Daniel next year, is that they're from what I hear, they're getting the RB19. Like, Max and Checo's cars are, that's going to that's gonna be, well, also we have to talk about what they what they decided to name that team next year because it's not AlphaTauri next year. Do you guys hear what it is? Racing, no, no, no. Racing Bulls. What? Oh, yeah. Racing Bulls. <laughs> like, Racing Bulls, okay. I, I think that's just... You know, how many millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars in marketing and, and team name did they spend to come up with racing bulls? And there's all these parodies on the internet of racing no, balls. Are you saying <laughs> bowls like a bowl of soup? No, like red bowl. Bowls. Racing oh. bowls. Racing bowls. Kim, do you remember years ago the NBC Peacock? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, they spent, and this is going back in you know dollars forty years ago. They spent a hundred thousand dollars or a million or what, some big number to uh, to get that to have it created by an ad company, and then they got sued because another guy who had created that same thing for another company sued them, and he had done it for a hundred bucks. Mm. Mm. It just <laughs> it kind of reminds me. I just they, think they, what was what's wrong with going back to Toro Rosso? Like that was, yeah. Or I know that's a such. I thought that was a cool name, but well, the I, brand, again, it's the branding thing. Why is why is the branding? You would think Taro Rossi would be better, especially to promote the the Red Bull name. Again, it's a money thing. Money changed hands. Who knows how they did it? But uh, I think, and there still could be another uh, another sponsor. I think Hugo Boss. It could be like Hugo Boss Racing Bulls. I just think that could be a disaster. But what sure. could not be a disaster is having you know, uh, an RB19 level car that we could see a big jump for the Bulls uh, and Daniel Ricardo and Yuki Tsunoda. That could make for some really interesting uh, racing next year. Mm. So definitely yep. excited they, about that. In college football, they, of course, they named the Bulls after the sponsors. And one year they had the Poulan Weed Eater Independence Bowl. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Other other standout performances was I think we have to talk about Piastri. As far Absolutely. as a, as far as a rookie hey, season was, goes. Don't steal my thunder. Don't steal Go my ahead. thunder. Go ahead, Because I'm gonna. The reason I brought it up is so I could speak this. Say it. And it was is the McLaren trifecta. Yeah. Is is my big win of the season. Not only does McLaren have the cool had the coolest livery, but the way Piastri, you know, really came in as a rookie and performed, and um, yeah, uh, and, and uh, that Norris and Piastri, the way they raced together, 
Um, big win for me, and I wouldn't be surprised because of the way they came on with their upgrades toward the end from midseason on um, to where they become far more competitive. I'm wondering if there's something going on there that uh, McLaren may supersede Mercedes. Well, and they're they're stealing. Well, they're stealing sponsors from Mercedes too. Monster Energy Drink left left uh, Mercedes and went to McLaren. I mean, so if anything, Ron Dennis can get sponsors because they got to have like a thousand sponsors at this point. Well, and isn't McLaren going to be their uh, um, homeworks factory going to be up to full speed? I think it's getting there. Next it's not. year, definitely by twenty six. Yeah. But so, when, um, Jim, when have you or Dad, both of you, when have you ever seen that big of a jump? Like we forget that they were the end of last year and beginning of this year, they were running sixteenth, seventeenth, and that was a good result for them. And then they go from that to you know Lando winning, going on to do five second step podiums in a row or something like that. I think Norris has more P two finishes than Perez does. And then, I guess let me answer the first part of the question. Yeah. I think Braun that year that Braun in twenty nineteen yeah. won the championship out of nowhere. I suppose that you're going to hard to top that. But um, I I went up speaking of McLaren. I went up this summer up to Watkins Glen to this International Racing Research Center, which is a great museum in Watkins Glen, and I took out. Mark uh, Stigerwald, who runs, and Bill Green, who's a friend of mine, uh, Mark runs the museum. And I said, hey, why don't you, next year, the 50th anniversary of McLaren's first world championship, which they won at Watkins Glen, why don't you have some event surrounding that? Uh, and, and the teams are going to be in Austin about two weeks later, so you might get Fittipaldi back, who won the world championship. And uh, that might be something that the McLaren team might want to do it. That was their first world championship just 50 years ago and had a nice, took them out to lunch down by the lake. And, um, and then I donated a, uh, a brick in memory of Francois Severt, who was killed Mm. at that point, you know, 50 years ago at this time. Um, but that's a great little museum. If anybody in the East, your listeners on the East coast can drive up to Watkins Glen, terrific little museum, all sorts of periodicals, books, the works there. And, um, that's cool. Uh, wonderful organization for sure. Road trip. <laughs> yeah, real. Um, Let's go, Andrew. The other, absolutely, anytime. The other thing that was cool about Oscar Piastri and Norris is that we saw Norris get hustled a little bit. Um, the only thing I want to say about Piastri is I feel like he started to lose a little bit of steam toward the end of the season. He seemed to not be on the same form uh, toward the second half of the season, but it was. Very interesting, you know, to see the dynamic between Norris where we're like, oh, man, Norris is one of these great drivers, and then here comes this hot shot Piastri. What's, how is Norris going to respond to that? And I feel like Norris just showed us another gear, um, and that, that was neat to see. But I, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see if that was just Piastri's, you know, first real long um, – first season kind of woes and then you know going to a lot of tracks that he had never been to before but all in all i think that's got to be up there with one of the better rookie seasons um of of a lot of drivers um no question yeah and i'm very excited i think they they as well 
have a very stellar lineup if they can, um, you know, start strong next year. I think that could be a very interesting, uh, interesting to watch. Um, something that we have to talk about that's the opposite is Russell's season and what an abysmal season Russell had. Um, I just, I mean, if it wasn't, if it wasn't reliability, it was incidents. And if it wasn't incidents, it was mistakes by Russell. Um, I, I don't, I, I think that to have the season that Russell had and then to be as, as indignant as he seemed to be at sometimes, I, I I'm I'm questioning that that team pairing a little bit because that should be again one of the stronger team pairings and stronger teams, and um, I, I I just I feel like that was everybody at that team seemed to be very good riddance to that car, and from what I hear, um, an all new one hundred percent abandonment of the concepts previous brand new car next year. So what do you guys have to say about that? Let's start with Jim. Uh, I think, okay. Well, I, you know, you worry about that because, you know, you, you, these new concept cars, you, they have all the promise in the world. And yet, you know, here Lotus dominated in 78 with the Lotus 78, Lotus 79. And then their new car was not good. And next year they were down in the midfield. And then you think of Mercedes, who dominated and then came out with a car last year that they admittedly said was the wrong concept. So, you know, you have all the promise in these new cars, whether they're going to be better or not is always um, kind of problematic. You never quite know what you're going to, what well, you're going to get. Dad, what were you going to say before I interject? Well, I, I think a lot depends on um, how much has George Russell alienated the team and perhaps uh, a great mentor in Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Um, I, you know, George needs to grow up and like most of the drivers, they do. Uh, and can, has he alienated enough people to where if he does make a, he starts to mature and becomes a more well-rounded individual. Uh, has he turned people enough off that, you know, of uh, being more of a team guy. Yeah. Um, well, that, uh, that more really, complimentary to the team. Yeah. Here's what I think to speaking to both of your points here, Jim, because Jim, you brought up the point that, you know, speaking about Schumacher in the era of dominance of Ferrari. And I think you can say the same about Lewis in the era of dominance um, for the, for Mercedes and especially that, that 21 season is that Lewis is a driver that can lead a team and can rally a team and, and like keep things progressing and moving. And I think that's gotta be such a difficult thing when, cause I think it's Lewis has made no secret, no, you know, made it no secret that he is not happy with that car. Both him and Russell say they don't feel comfortable in the car. They're not able to extract the most out of it because they, they can't feel the limit. They couldn't get comfortable ever. And I wonder if that's kind of the impetus of this kind of like, okay, well, then let's take this season, this off season and stuff, and let's try and at least, even if it's at the same pace as we are now or maybe even a little bit worse, but something that, the drivers feel confident in driving and can kind of then 
become that leader, like become a team leader again and, and push the development forward. Because oftentimes we saw this a lot this season where like teams would bring an upgrade or, or uh, to the car and it wouldn't have the effect that they thought it would and the drivers didn't like it. We saw that with Aston Martin. We saw that with Mercedes. We saw that with Haas. We saw that with, you know, several teams. And I think... I think that maybe that's why maybe they're kind of gonna they're kind of abandoning is that they just need to have Hamilton like the car again. Well, and you remember the top teams have a have a penalty, a wind tunnel penalty, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. It, it hopefully it brings the field together. So there, the top teams will be a little bit of a, of a disadvantage because of that. Um. And you know you're always you're always on the edge of technology. You're always pushing technology. You have to to stay on top. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't work. Um, big time. And you know the porpoise thing here a couple of years ago when they changed the regs, and uh, Mercedes seemed to have more problems than anybody with the porpoising. Red Bull solved it quickly. They they had the same porpoising, but they got the the car sorted out quickly. Um, but Mercedes or you know just didn't. So you're going to have this. It's not, it's not always a course, not always going to be better for sure. Yeah. Uh, while I'm remembering that, uh, we have a moment with Martin that is in reference to a Mercedes. So here's our, here's your, you all, you're very patient for waiting this long into the podcast to get your moment with Martin, but here we go. So much speed into the corner. The front of his Mercedes was like, not yet. Not with this amount of fuel on board. <laughs> that was earlier on in the race in Abu Dhabi where George was trying to go a little deep in a corner, but there was much too much weight for that car to handle it. So um, the the one thing that I kind of want to finish on just setting up for next year is, is anybody else nervous that Max again finished 17 seconds ahead of everybody else and that car hadn't been developed since July? Does that... Does that is that a forbidding omen to the next season that that oh this is the last race let's show them what we really had left in the tank with this car before we before we give it to to our junior team and what does that say for next season, Dad? Well, I don't know if it would be curious to see if they really lift that baby up. What would the reliability issues be? Well, um, Max is the only driver to finish to to he raced every lap of the season. Reliability was no, not. I know, but you're talking about maximizing. I I thought I heard you ask the question. Let's really crank this thing up to its full potential. Well, but did, doesn't that maybe, seem doesn't that kind of yeah. seem what what, what was happening? Because I mean, we had Brazil. It was a couple of second gap. Vegas. It was a couple of a second gap. And then, you know, we get to, to Abu Dhabi and it's like, okay, like you said early on, you know, Max got ahead and it was just like, goodbye, checked out 17 seconds, you know, fastest lap, you know. Right. Well, you know, I think maybe they were, they knew they had it, but they also knew that maybe it wouldn't last. So they, like Jimmy mentioned earlier, you tried to, you try and win the race at the slowest speed for your reliability issues. Yeah. And 
yeah, you know, and if, you know, Max would get out front, um, awesome driver, yeah. Uh, but when he had to call on the car to go faster and call on himself to go faster, he always did. Those are for short periods of time as opposed to hauling out the whole race. Um, and maybe that was by design because they know uh, they were on the edge, even at their detuned state. I don't know. I, I'd be curious to see, but I don't know if I'd be scared about it because, come on, we are witnessing Formula One history this year. And will that continue on to next year? And and we lived through that time and we saw these races when the most, uh, when the highest skill meets the best technology. Uh, that we may never ever see again. Well, so, and and even if they do come with a card, will Max be able to continue that? You know, like you said, like it's it's a it's a challenging ask. Um, but will he be able to continue? And will will we have yeah. McLaren he, be the challenger? Will we have Ferrari? Will we have, um, you know, I you know none of us are immune from having um, mental circumstances that. Uh, change some of the tra- trajectory of our lives. Maybe Max will have a moment like Perez had this year. Well, you know, the, just his head, just something will get in his head, and the cars will be a little. It bit doesn't seem likely. Too. They're going to be shorter and uh, and and less wide next year, as well. So what well, if what if yeah. that little bit of of uh, of um change causes that that aerodeficient you know aero efficiency that advantage that red bulls you know grown so accustomed to what if that just drops by the most marginable percentage but that's all it takes you know it might but then we'll see parity and then we'll see these close races again and these victories by one or two points at the end of the year decided by the last race of the year uh i wouldn't mind that either so um and Liberty has got to do something. <laughs> they got to go go back and get find that Bernie button that Bernie would always find. But you know, they got to do something because I think they this year you know we saw at several tracks that we were they were hemorrhaging viewers and hemorrhaging ticket sales because nobody wants to come and you know it is it is not great for the sport. Is it inevitable? It's inevitable factor of this sport, but it isn't ever really that great to have one team just dominate in such a manner well unless unless you look at the sport in its totalness of how like the mclaren's moving up so well or, or the aston martin's Mer- we didn't even talk about yeah. how, how amazing that first half yeah. of the aston martin season was too. you know you know that's kind of the thing is we mature in the sport as spectators um we can see the nuances and enjoy the yeah, aspect but... of middle runners and back runners. And yeah, there's going to be years where there's going to be dominance. It's kind Let, of always that way. Uh, let's be real. Yeah. We're all hopeless. They know they got us. We're, we're going to show up and watch every race, no matter how, yeah. how it is. I'm talking about the casual fan, you know? Well, you know how disappointed we were this, this time last year where we're, really saying, oh, golly, 
we're within driving distance of two Formula One races. Yeah, that we can't afford it. And then to be totally blown out of the water financially by yeah. it. That, uh, and, and, and some of it is, uh, you know, I just don't want to, I don't want to support that kind of ideology or no. mentality to something so cool. Not, I don't know if I want to go so far as to say it, and that's going to wreck the sport ultimately, but it sure makes it less fun to, um, to just be at one race in our lifetime, you know? Oh, we're going to do um, it. We're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here's a fun so, thing we'll do. And Jim, you can you can say no if you want, but I think it'd be really fun for each of us to pick the team that we think next year is going to come with come with the the fight to Red Bull and we maybe we'll have you on earlier in the season and have you on a couple more times in the season if you're into it. Um are you down with that? Okay. You know they say predictions especially about the future are really really difficult. So yeah, but it's fun. But fun. <laughs> so if the, if, uh, if you had to say, who do you think is going to be the team next year to hustle or to hassle Red Bull? Tim, go ahead. Let's let you take this one first. I, I'm going to pick my McLaren trifecta. I think uh, there's going to be a lot of things come together for McLaren, uh, and I just hope that Lewis can hang in long enough because I really want him to get number eight world championship. That would be like awesome. Um, I, no, nine, right? What do we hope? Yeah. No, eight, 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 eight would be the map. Eight would be the, would be uh, historic. So uh, uh, that's my call. Uh, McLaren is going to be the most uh, competitive this next year. Okay. You want to go yeah, last, I, Jim, or you want to go second? I think, I think, you have to say Mercedes has the best chance. But I, I, well, I'm with your dad. I, I'd love to see Lewis win his eighth. You know, the, I keep thinking that it's now seven to three in championships, Lewis to Max, but it very well could have been eight to two. Um, yeah. You know, because should be. Miles mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But no, love to see Lewis win. I think Mercedes still has the best chance to finish second. I totally agree with your dad, McLaren's probably the third best team, the team to watch next year. And I think Isaac Brown, I think, is doing a great job. I think he drives that organization very well. And um, like their driver lineup, and boy, I, I last year I would have rated Norris maybe the third best driver in the field. And for Piastri to be so close to him, that's a pretty good driver lineup they've got. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Ferrari, of course, you, you never can forget them, but... Um, well, Those that's, that's going to be my pick. I think Ferrari is going to – I think they have a really clear – more clear directive than in years past that if they can really just unlock their discrepancy between qualifying pace and race pace, that we're going to have a really serious car next year. And I think – Excellent point. I think that that – now that they – if they can just unlock that key, um, that I think we can – we can really see something, and boy, would I love to see um, both the Leclerc science battle. I think that's super interesting to me, but also I just want to see Leclerc and, and Verstappen go race to race, um, hustling each other, um, because I think Leclerc slightly edges out Max on just that raw pace ability if he can just have that car behind him. 
but then I just don't know what if old Charlie can can handle the pressure because <laughs> he's made some mistakes when pressure is on him. So still pretty young. I still pretty young. I I think it's gonna. So Dad says McLaren. Jim says McLaren Mercedes. And I'm going to say Ferrari. And we have a long. No, Jim says Mercedes McLaren. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, Mercedes. Yeah, it is. Let me think. I would say Mercedes best chance. I forgot about Ferrari. Maybe Ferrari McLaren too. But but McLaren making up the gap toward number three. I think that's what. I think I agree with your dad. I think Tim's right. That's my guess. McLaren has showed what what McLaren showed this year is that they're they're the most likely to see the problem and do something about it because we remember that McLaren showed up to testing and made the the, the call it testing which is what led to their huge turnaround from going from last to the fourth fastest third fastest second fastest and, and I th- and I think they're, they're going to have a full complement of their factory uh, technology up to speed next year too so well we'll see i i know we're all very excited and we're, we're all looking for it and luckily it's only about 90 days until the season starts so <laughs> we won't have to wait too long well jim any last words we want to give you want to you want to say before before we sign off you know there are a bunch of friends but i love your podcast there's a friend of mine jimmy bear has a very successful trucking company and he is going to because of your podcast. He's going to do a podcast of his own for his employees of the company. But he loves the podcast. Well, we'll have um, to have him on so- sometime next year for yeah, sure. Yeah, would be great. That is yeah. awesome. He'd Let, love it. Yeah, we'll have to set that up. Maybe we can have him on and you on uh, toward the early early season. That'd be next fun. Year. And then this Chris James, who's is a he's just like you. He came onto it about the same time. He's got his daughters into it and. Uh, Again, very successful funeral director. He's got a funeral this afternoon, so he couldn't. Oh, bummer. I, so I said, sit in and, and listen. But yeah, I, I, the fans, I'm just identifying more and more Formula One fans. Oh, now, yeah. So they're really, really out there a lot. So yeah, we have, we're, I'm very, very excited for the next season of the American's Guide to Formula One, where we're, I think we're really starting to find our stride. And we have a really oh, great yeah. group of, of fans coming along. And I think it's it's only up from here. <laughs> right after- and it, it, and I, I think, uh, Jim, I tell you, it is such a pleasure to Always. have you come with your stories. Your anecdotes are so good and lend so much perspective to really the people who are starting out who really want to kind of understand what this crazy sport is all about. And it's, we just, I just so appreciate you yeah. being able to make some time to come on with us. Well, it's really fun being with you guys. And, you know, there's so much great history there. Uh, and it's totally accessible now, uh, you know, through the Internet. And, you know, you want to, you know, see a X race, the 57 German race. Up there. Boy, it's out there for you. And yeah. um, so there's a great um, – and it's exciting in all eras. I mean, it was great then, very different, um, you know, great now. And your point before about – the length of the time these, you know, maybe would max retire something, you know, in the old days you could get killed easily. So they, they were Mm. were thinking about retiring at an earlier age. I think like James Hunt, uh, Schechter, Jackie Stewart retired in his prime, but boy, cause the reason is cause you, there were a lot of, a lot of guys losing their lives. And yeah, 
that's the big difference. That's a huge. You wouldn't want to go back. Believe me, no, don't get me wrong. And but that's something we've seen this year many times. You know, when I saw that Grosjean accident, I said, "No, he's not going to survive that." And he walked out of it. Crazy. Just can't. Hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Thanks again, scary. Jimmy. Thanks to everybody. We'll hopefully try and have some off-season stuff. Not promising anything, but we'll definitely be back uh, in preseason and for another season of An American's Guide to Formula One. Uh, thank you, Jimmy. Yeah. Thank you, Dad. Thank well, you, everybody, was, from listening. Yeah. And I'm going to shoot you these uh, some of these letters this week when I get, get a chance. So. Awesome. Look Thanks, forward uh, to it. That's Thanks. awesome. Bye, everybody. Okay. Have a good day. See you guys.